You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where floor ever purred. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. We're going to get into a lot about the forever purge and freedom, and well, you might as well just play the, the freedom drop now, because <laughs> we're going to hear it like 80 times this episode. Well, I, well it's going to... It's, it's just going to happen over and over, so here we go. I urge all of you living in Florida to join the fight. Or join us in California, where we still believe in freedom, freedom of speech, freedom to choose, freedom from hate, and the freedom to love. Don't let them take your freedom. So we'll get we'll get to all freedom that. Is right, we'll get to all that. Freedom is slavery. <laughs> we'll we'll get to all that. But before we do, and before I formally introduce my co-host, I want to just briefly talk about another thing that I always track in our uh, show another theme is driving and it happened to me this morning in the worst way possible and what i mean about that is if you remember a few episodes ago i talked about people who need to pull out in front of you when there is no one behind you i pulled into the sam's club parking lot and i was approaching the exit for the gas station part and there was no one behind me somebody literally peeled out of the gas station in order to get in front of me. So to me, this is no longer just something we can excuse as people not having forethought. I literally believe people need to get out in front of people nowadays. I think it's an example of our narcissism, and I think it's an example of main character syndrome that kids talk about. So I just thought that very interesting. And when I say peeled out, I literally mean you could hear that he touched the gas too strongly and the tires couldn't grip quick enough because he was trying to get out in front of me so quickly when again there was no one behind me it didn't inconvenience him any except if he was assuming any other person would be an inconvenience all right let's move on joining me this trip from dale's lawn identifying her as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege william green hello hello yeah what a beautiful day here in california where we we're, we're yes, the freedom from uh, hate, oh. freedom from okay. uh, what was it again? Freedom, freedom to love. There we go. I forgot about that. Fre- uh, freedom, freedom from humidity. Yeah, freedom from humidity. That's true. We also have uh, uh, f- uh, freedom to enjoy uh, homeless people on the beaches and uh, sidewalks everywhere. And uh, yeah, we got so much freedom over here, Justin. Those are unsheltered people, William. Unhoused, unhoused. They have shelter, Justin. They just don't have houses. We just need more houses. Yeah, that's the issue. Yeah. That's the issue. Anything going on with you you want to tell us about or you want to just jump right into uh, it? Let's just jump right into it. I, this this show is going to be a banger. I, I'm already predicting. It's going to be a banger. We're going we're gonna to talk about a couple other things before we get into this whole freedom thing. But uh, let's head into all of it in Life on the Midside. <laughs> Just like really sun, no, we just complaining. I hope that this line goes 
As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all support, including, and perhaps most of all, affirmations. And I'd like to thank Midsider Ed Joe for sending us some affirmations in the Discord this week. Greatly appreciated. Much better than money. Much, much. I, I know the, the feeling I got inside made me feel like I was free. It made me feel like I should go live with Gavin Newsom. So I, thank you, Midsider Ed Joe. You, you, made my, you made my life. You validated my existence. And that's what really matters. And talking about William, validating existence. Ooh, did you see this opinion piece from the Washington Post before I shared it? No, I didn't. I did not. All right, and then uh, without giving away content opinions, what did you think after you read it? After I read it, I thought that it was a sort of surreal dream of bad thinking, just just really jumping around on. Uh, it was really an attack on concepts itself, right? And having concepts. I agree. And it was and, and, it was a slog to get through because of how much jumping around there was. Okay. And that's why I picked out some key elements, some key parts, and I'm going to share them and we're going to discuss them because I think what you said is correct. And it's interesting the way this links to transgender and transgender rights and the transgender movement. And these are the things I think we're not allowed to talk about. These are the things that get us canceled. And it's interesting that this gets published in the Washington Post as a, a valid and sound piece, right? This is worthwhile to talk about, but we're not allowed to say the other side or else we get attacked. So let me read some key parts here. First part I want to read a few paragraphs here. Oh, I should probably say the article title first. Transgender biology debates should focus on the brain, not the body. Now, William... That is in line with what I have said, yes? Yeah, it's it's in line with something that we've been talking about, but the way the way this argument is made as we'll soon get into, it, uh, it it's sort of denying its own headline, which doesn't Correct. It, I mean, the editor must have picked this headline, right? To because yes. it sort of fits in. It 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 integrates with this total disintegration of what it means to have a concept or 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 have a label for an item. Yes. So here we go. So what then is a biological male or female? What determines this supposedly simple truth? It's about chromosomes, right? Well, not entirely, because not every person with a Y chromosome is male and not every person with a double X is female. The world is full of people with other combinations, XXY or Klinefelter syndrome, XXX or trisomy X. Uh, I also believe that's called Vin Diesel, XXXY and so on. And so on. And so on. Yeah. What other, like, is there like an XXXYZ that I don't know about? Like, anyway, there's even something called androgen insensitivity syndrome, a condition that keeps the brain of people with a Y from absorbing the information in that chromosome. Most of these people develop as female and might not even know about their condition until puberty or even later. How can this be if sex is only about a gene? Some people respond by saying that sex is about something else then, ovaries or testicles. 
two structures that begin their existence in the womb as the same thing. What do we do then with the millions of women who have had hysterectomies? Have they become men? <laughs> the ovens. What about <laughs> the ovens? <laughs> What about women who have had mastectomies or men with gynecomastia or enlarged breasts? Are these people not who they think they are? It might be that what's in your pants is less important than what's between your ears. Now, before we get to all the mind stuff, and actually the mind stuff isn't as important. It's the conclusion this author draws from the mind stuff. I just want to talk about everything I just read for a moment, William. Okay. This is something that really bothers me about modern thinking and the way modern evidence is presented and modern argumentation. I have always hated when someone pre- presents a general principle. And this is something it makes me really hate academic philosophy. Uh, someone presents something that has a general principle and applies to 99% of people or situations. And then someone goes, oh, well, what about this 1% it doesn't apply to? It must not be true. I mean, how many people are there with XXY or XXX or XXXY or XXXYZ? Does that really eliminate the link between male, female, and chromosomes? Uh, yeah, of course. That's their goal is to deny this link. And this is what I was talking about. Justin, this is an attack on epistemology itself. And, and here's, yes. well, sorry, the dog's going crazy. Um, and here's the, here's the point of that attack is if someone approaches honestly in like, let's say an academic paper and says, okay, we have this principle and it's like 80 or 90% effective, right? And now we're going to explore this 10% to really understand the context of the principle and, and under, understand the underlying principles, right? That, that would be a good faith, uh, uh, epistemologically, right? Engaging with concepts and trying to, uh, understand their limits and, and their context, right? And, and, an yes. exploration and extension of knowledge, right? But that's yes. not what the modern academic approach is. The modern academic approach is to define a concept as a platonic ideal and then say, look, it doesn't fit the platonic idea. Therefore, knowledge doesn't exist. Right. Yes. That's the argument yes. they make in, implicitly in, in this entire article is just that argument. Right. A complete disconnect from what actually exists. Yeah. And it, it gets worse than that. And it mirrors it we'll mirrors see. it mirrors a actual argument in form. And what I mean by that is it, 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 it attempts to point at reality, which is what you should be doing in an argument like this. Right. So it's, it's taking the the form of an of a knowledge extending argument. Right. But it's not. It's it's denying its own. But like, why would I even point at reality if these concepts, if if concepts cannot exist? Well, the reality they point to, and this is where it starts to get worse, William, is their own subjective experience. And, and Man, even I feel though. Like a woman. Right. And that's where it starts with in this article. That's why you're saying it's a mishmash. And that's why I was removing some of this so we can simplify to this point, because even though. We believe, you and I believe in objective truth and objective reality. I at least still re- recognize that there are subjective experiences. I mean, do you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, of course. I think, and, and you know, we talk about, in epistemology, we talk about intro- introspection and understanding that part of yourself, right? Um, right. Th- those subjective experiences, right? 
and I'm using right. subjective and scare quotes here, right? Like, cause, you know, it's, it's not, it's not that they're, uh, unconnected from reality, right? It's not subjectivism in the, in that deep philosophical sense. Well, it's subjectivism in the sense that there is not one proper correct reaction. Exactly. And there is not one proper correct way of handling every situation. Some situations are optional. So some situations are, uh, I want to say delimited, if that makes sense. So there's not like, you know, it's not like every situation is a life or death, right? And the problem here is, as we'll see over the rest of this, is the obscuring of the line between optional values and necessary values and the obscuring of the line between object objectivity and subjective experiences. Cause this article goes on and on about the biology of the brain and so on and so forth. But then it pivots in an interesting and I would say troubling way. So here we go. The years to come will perhaps continue to shed light on the mysteries of the brain and to what degree our sense of our what degree our sense of ourselves as gendered beings has its origins there but there's a problem with using neurology as an argument for trans acceptance it suggests that on some level there's something wrong with transgender people that we are who we are as a result of sickness or a biological hiccup but trans people are not broken and in fact trying to open people's hearts by saying check out my brain can do more harm than good because this line of argumentation delegitimizes the experience of many trans folks it suggests that there's only one way to be trans to feel trapped in the wrong body to go through transition and to wind up when all is said and done on the opposite gender pole it suggests that the quest trans people go on can be considered successful only if it ends with fitting into the very society that rejected us in the first place. All the science tells us in the end is that a biological male or female is not any one thing, but a collection of possibilities. Ultimately, the issue here, William, is this second-handedness. It says, it suggests that the quest trans people go on can be considered successful only if it ends with fitting into the very society that rejected us in the first place. So here's the thing. First of all, the society, it goes back to the 99% or the 80% or the 90, whatever the numbers are. I don't know what the numbers are. But if that's what gender is normally, and there is something with you that is a sickness, a hiccup, whatever label we want to give it, in order to be part of a normally functioning human being, then yes, you would have to be aligned with that. But here's the key word, rejected us in the first place. Ultimately, this person wants to be exactly who this person is without any work. And what I mean by that is, William, this is narcissism that comes from the second-handedness in our society. Mm. The main character syndrome I mentioned at the top of the show. It's the idea that we are all born and we can just stay this way for the rest of our lives. There is no work that happens. There is nothing beyond what we're born as. It's the fact that simply existing makes you worthwhile. And that's not the way things work in reality you have to work in order to survive always go back to the desert island scenario 
if you were on a desert island, could you simply just exist as you are? Or would you have to put in work every day to continue to survive? It's the same thing. You are simply not just born as the person you're meant to be. You become the person you're meant to be. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. And, and I think that connects to that quote about, uh, our, you know, trans people are not broken, right? I think it connects to that as well, right? It's it's not that trans people are broken. It's that people who ascribe to this this way of thinking never mature. Right? They never, they never, they never, it's a, it's like a zero sum from economics. They become a zero sum person, right? That any, any, without having anything to strive for or to grow towards or to, uh, discover in themselves, they, they, they just externalize everything, right? This is all about how society treats people, not how you treat yourself. Right. I mean, that quote, right? I mean, one of the best quotes in Zack Snyder's Justice League is when Cyborg gets to the end of his journey and he says, I'm not broken and I'm not alone. And that is a powerful moment for him because he's accepting himself and realizing it doesn't matter what society says. He himself knows he's not broken. Mm -hmm. And I think the issue here, William, is defining your identity singularly. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you break your leg... Or you blow out your knee. Is your knee at that point not broken? <laughs> no, no, you just accept it as it is. Right, exactly. Right. Imagine how insane that would be, just accepting your knee as it is. Right. But we could say your knee is broken, but does that make you a broken person? No. No, and that's why people are trying to move to things like people-first language. Not trans people, but people who are trans. Right. It's 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 the reprogramming of our brains because we're so second handed. Yeah, we're so second handed that, oh, this is a thing people don't accept about me. And then it becomes even more difficult. It becomes even more difficult when there are dangerous things about being outside of the norm biologically or psychologically. Yeah. Like, would you say a person who has chronic depression because of a chemical imbalance in their brain is broken i wouldn't i would say they have a chemical imbalance in their brain yeah yeah the now good the the idea of uh this gets back to any sort of mental illness discussion uh and people turning that because of some of the mental illness especially in the cluster b the narcissism like you're talking about that becomes a house of cards that they've built their identity on. So yes. it's it's impossible to any any sort of improvement out of that attacks this pseudo self esteem that they've built. So like we've talked about it before, right. you know, like uh, I, I I've I've I think I've said it to said it on the show, but I've I've had a friend that I remember uh, we were having a discussion, and at one point I said, yeah, I would be I would never be offended if you say you know here's my friend William and he's gay. But if you said, this is my gay friend, William, that feels weird to me, right? And, and it's subtle, but it's important, right? It's it, it would be like saying, this is my, uh, I don't know, 
like this is my hockey friend black William. friend yeah yeah exactly like yeah or black friend yeah i was trying to pick something that would have no emotional like strong emotional attack this is my michigan fan William. as a boston bruins <laughs> like, like, fan, like fuck hockey keep, right now yeah, yeah you keep you keep you keep those separate right uh but it right it comes back to what are you folks that that fall into this trap they are doing the thing they're denying which is they are changing and uh building their character it's just they're denying that that can be actually built that you can change as a person that you can grow as a person that's really what right. it's coming it, down to correct and it goes back to what you were saying about the adolescence thing this is really an issue of never moving beyond adolescence and, and what i mean by that is what you're essentially describing is, and what we're discussing is what is the essential of a human being is the essential of a human being that human beings gender is the essential of a human being that human being sexuality, their skin color, the sports they play. All of these examples we picked because they're not the essentials of a human being. And when you don't develop the principles to understand the essentials of a human being, and as a teenager, you have something that makes you stand out from other people. And I would even say what's worse as a teenager is when you yourself feel like you stand out. We always talk about externally, right? Media has made it movies and TV shows have made it. So it's all superficial things that we pay attention to that teens struggle with the idea that they struggle with being externally different. If you're too tall, you're too short, you're a different race. You, you dress differently. You act differently, right? Your voice sounds a certain way. We think those are the things that are really harmful to kids, but really it's internally if things make you feel different from everyone else. And and that's, you know, certainly what happens with what this person's describing in the in this opinion piece. Yeah. And it's never moving beyond that because you think, oh, what is essential is what I feel most strongly and what relates me or differentiates me from everyone else when when as you're saying that's inherently second-handed it becomes inherently narcissistic because you've never developed the principles right and i mean i would say essentially what makes a person is a self right the unique combination of mind and body but even this article seeks to sever the connection between mind and body yeah and they have to do it by denying causality right that whole thing about well, what about women who have hysterectomies, right? Like, there's a huge, like, having XY uh, or XX chromosomes initiates a huge causal chain uh, of, of events in the development of the body and the person, right? And so they pick, they pick, they pick some concrete and say, well, what if this concrete doesn't happen because then therefore, you know, the, you know, this person doesn't belong to this class. It's like, wait, 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 you've denied that whole biological causal chain. And we know because it is biological that biology has a context where it can go wrong, right? Where it can right. change, where it can uh, deviate, where it can mutate. All these things, we like that. You're denying the whole class of how we understand the causality of biology and saying, well, what about women who have hysterectomies or you know uh, people who, for whatever reason, their hormones don't develop in the normal biological causal chain? Are they not X well, or even, Y? Even even off of that, William. If we look at it as an endpoint, right, and we say the endpoint is the, the hysterectomy. So now this woman is missing one trait. 
Well, being a woman is not one trait. It's an integrated whole. whole. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, Again, deci- why, why denying we... concepts, right? Denying concepts in the context. Right. Exactly. Why, why can we have a, a Kinsey scale for sexuality, right? And we can say, you know, you're a one through five sexuality based upon what you're attracted to. But we can't have that with gender either. Right. Yeah. Oh, wait, aren't these the people who argue gender is a spectrum? Again, all of these arguments don't exist. It's anti-conceptual yeah. because it is privileging the mind over reality, specifically privileging your own experience, your own emotional experience over reality. It's look, Daniel would always talk about it when he's on the show. And I think it, this leads into the next article. Do you want better evidence? Do you do you need greater evidence of the school system failing than kids being unable to think beyond their own subjective experiences and yeah. living their entire life in an adolescent state? I mean, is the narc you could argue the narcissism that exists, the main character syndrome that exists, is a result of the failure of the school system. Yeah. We, we are not we are we are encouraging this emotionalist and emotionalism in thinking and can't even really call it thinking because it's not rational right it's it's this privileging of subjective experience over anything else and denying any sort of way to classify things outside of that it's it's basically the abandonment of argument yes you can't argue anymore because all it becomes is my experience versus your experience and you're never going to, there's no way to win that battle. It's just, okay, we see things differently, but this is also why people's conversations focus on things like, and I bring this up in debate class all the time. Do you want to, for a year, talk about who the best Spider-Man is? Because we can do that one of two ways. We can define what a Spider-Man is and figure out who fits that the best, or we can sit around all day and talk about our taste, right? It, what ice cream do you like? What ice cream do I like? Okay. So vanilla versus chocolate. That's literally just biology. That's literally just taste buds. That's literally just psychology. What what are, what are your associations with having eaten chocolate or vanilla as you developed? There's no conversation there. At a certain point, it just becomes making the other person recognize that you have a specific experience with one of the three Spider-Man and you have a specific experience with vanilla or chocolate ice cream. And to me, that is the most boring way to live life at all. Completely. Yeah. If that's why do all, I want yeah, all, yeah, if that's all you can engage with. That is just like you said, completely boring. It's boring just to sit around all day. And that's dude, honestly, and we could transition to the next story here. Because it's about school, but that's that's all I hear. These kids will sit there and they'll have an hour long conversation saying the same thing back and forth with each other for an hour. Mm-hmm. They just go in a circle saying the same thing back and forth, and they don't understand that they've said nothing. Yeah, over and over again. And it, it's it's it used to when I first started. I and I didn't know what was going on. It used to drive me nuts or confuse the hell out of me. Yeah. Makes you think maybe like understand suicide, right? Yeah. Well, let's talk about the next story then. So well, you were the one who submitted it. So. Yeah. So uh, this is a touchy subject. Uh, suicide, of course. But uh, a year after a student suicide, 
the New Jersey board uh, for the uh, New Jersey boarding school, sorry, admits fault. So here's the story. Uh, a 17-year-old student in a New Jersey boarding school took his own life. The school publicly took responsibility and sell- said that it felt it fell tragically short in its obligation to protect him. Last year, on April 30th, uh, Jack Reed took his own life after months of bullying. Um, it's publicly acknowledged and uh, had been aware that Jack was being bullied by other students. Um, and here's what the statement that the school said. It said, the school acknowledges that bullying and unkind behavior and actions taken or not taken by the school likely contributed to Jack's death. So what happened to this poor uh, person? He's 14. So he arrived at the boarding school as a 10th grader in the fall of 2020. But by spring of 2021, a persistent and untrue rumor that Jack was a rapist was spreading wide, widely through the student body. Uh, the rumor was then posted anonymously to a nationwide student-run social app spreading online. His parents said both the in-person and cyberbullying compounded the rumor's impact. Jack asked school officials to intervene multiple times. I read more into the detail here, which led to the school investigation during the bullying and sexual assault allegation. Now, Justin, isn't this a nightmare that we've talked about on the show before? This sort of mob mob, uh, uh, spreading... uh, of false information leading to leading to tragic events. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple things with the misinformation. I mean, this has become a hot topic after COVID, right? With the whole idea of misinformation spreading online. And that leads into the second thing, which is passive consumers of all of this content on social media. No one thought to assess the content when they saw it, these kids all saw the content. were like, Oh, this is funny. This is cool. This is ridiculous. I'm going to share it. And it went forward from there. It's again, it goes back to the last story with the not being able to think conceptually. It's just like, Oh, my experience with it is this. So I'm going to share this because these social media platforms don't encourage people to worry about the truth as they're used as they're used. It's just encouraging people to share their experience and that's it. So there was nothing about, oh, is this true or not? Yeah. It's all just, oh, I'm just going to share this because I saw it. Now, if you weren't angry enough, Justin, the tragedy of this is what the school principal and board did. So when these rumors first happened, uh, what was the first thing that you think they did, Justin? That they, they, they This guy comes up and asks the school administrator, hey, I'm being bullied. I'm being falsely accused of rape. They're posting all over the place. What do you think the school did? What what did they do or what should they what, do? What 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 oh what should have they have done? Okay. <clears throat> what they should have done was uh sat down and had a conversation with the kid about how are these rumors affecting you and how should you let them affect you or not. That ultimately you have to know in your heart and in your mind what's true and what isn't, and you can't control what other people say, then you should have a conversation with classmates about sharing content and about uh, bullying and harassment. What's the, yeah. yeah, bullying and harassment. I was going to go specifically into the sharing what's true and what's not and being able to assess on your own. In other words, yes, you should teach the kids. Right. You should teach the kids. Okay. Yes. I, that, no, that I, a, I think that's really perfect. Long... <laughs> no, no, right. I think that's perfect. I, like kids. you got in the concrete. Right. So I just wanted to, wanted to sum it up. Because I was, right. That's, that's what I was going to say. That's I just, the opposite. As, yeah. Well, can I say what I think they did? Yeah. So, uh, yes, you're right. First of all, I just went as a teacher, my brain went to what to teach, but you're right. 
abstractly teach the kids because uh, you're in education. But what I think they did was they were like, hey, can you share that content with me so I can evaluate it? And then they shared it with their friends, their teacher friends. Can you believe this is going around? So they contributed to the problem without realizing they were contributing to the problem. It was actually worse. They investigated him for rape. So this Matt- is our our society of um, we don't want to get sued. This yeah. is our, our uh, what, what is this? Our, so they put him through. Called? So they so he goes up to them saying, I'm being bullied, lays out how he's being bullied. And you know how it is at a school. The teachers know what the kids are, you know, sending around. Right. You you see the no. You see the rumors. No. It bubbles up. Something like this would bubble up. If everyone in the school is bullying dude. one one student, you think no one's going to notice that? A few people might, but I will tell you something that I am shocked about. Yeah, is without insulting other teachers, right? I'm trying to be pol- as polite as possible right now. The level of awareness I have is not common among teachers. That is the most polite way I can say it. Well. So they investigated him for rape. So they subjected him to a lengthy investigation on rape, found that he that the rumors were untrue, and then never told anyone, him, other students, anything. So they did this investigation, completely exonerated him, and then did nothing. So they did nothing. And and what so what you're talking about right now with the doing nothing, that is demonstrating what I'm talking about about the lack of awareness. And what I mean by that is really ultimately what it is, is a lack of awareness of what students are experiencing. And what I mean by that is they were looking at it purely from a legal perspective. Well, we don't want to get sued over this, right? Our litigious society, litigious is the word I was looking for, right? We don't want to get sued over this. Oh, well, we prove we're not going to get sued over this. So from our experience, we are going to move on because there's nothing. There was no rape. It's just kids spreading rumors. That's what happens in school. So we're just going to move on. Whereas every kid who goes through school is having a unique experience and has their own life. Right. So see how we're back into main character syndrome. We're back into narcissism. The school acting in a narcissistic way. And maybe it's the administration. Maybe it's the school board. Maybe it's maybe you could argue conceptually government itself is the ultimate form of narcissism. Yeah. Maybe that's why politicians are drawn to it. But nobody looked at it and said, well, maybe we need to sit down. Again, what I said, nobody looked at it as we need to teach the kids. Oh, so this was going around and we found out it was false. How can we use this to teach the kids, both in the specific situation that's going on and the longer term experience of what do you do when these things happen? Yeah. Nobody thought about teaching the kids. It was just how do we not get sued? So I couldn't, I I only saw this in one place, so I can't 100% confirm it, but the only time they disciplined this main bully who becomes a character on the day of the suicide uh, was due to uh, physical or verbal uh, abuse towards Jack, okay? So he gets disciplined for that, but not for the rumor itself, right? For spreading the rumor, right? So in other words, they're they're treating the, looking at it from a very uh, uh, one-off uh, discipline case, right? Like they don't see it as part of a program uh, of this guy bullying uh, Jack. And then on the uh, on the day of the suicide, this bully gets expelled for a different reason. And just hours after, uh, so 
we're returning to the article. Just hours after the classmate involved in the bullying was expelled, the school allowed him, unsupervised, to say his farewells to classmates, which included harsh words about Jack. So Jack has been in therapy at this point. He's not been talking about any sort of suicidation, suicide ideation with his therapist. But um, on that day, school administrators did not notify or check on Jack. Uh, that night, Jack took his life, telling a friend that he could could not go through this again. So in other words, the bully, you know, bully spread the rumor again on his way out. Um, and uh, yeah, and then he uh, he committed suicide. So this is a tragic story, Justin, but it is it is a nightmare that is of our own creation here in our in our current society, right? You you have so many threads yeah. that come together here, right? Yes, you know, and I think call- that's the go ahead. before you go into all the threads. I think that's the important thing to remember here is I don't know if this was preventable. I don't know if any suicide is preventable. However. The threads came together in a way that made the situation worse than it could have been. Because let's be serious. You said he hadn't expressed any suicidal ideation. He may not have had any. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, I am of the belief that every person at some point in their life has thought, hey, I should just kill myself. I mean, have you had those thoughts? I know I have. Yeah. Right. Those thoughts, when you're healthy and not dealing with a lot of stress... They can come out of nowhere when something gets really bad or it's like, I just don't want to deal with this. They can come out of nowhere. So he may not have had it. And then when the the rumors were spread again, he had the thoughts and just did it because of all the threats coming together. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. So continue now. I yeah, just so to we, have, we have a bunch of threads coming together, right? We have teachers not uh, teaching people, right? This, is, this happens to be a yes. private school, but this is like that makes it even worse, right? Like you can't even have teachers that teach in a private school. We have the, the well, the allegation must be true, right? The hashtag believe all women sort of thing, right? Even though this was a male bully, I'm not saying literally believe all women, but this concept of the accusation, if it's serious enough, you must take action, right? Just the accusation. Well, there are certain right? accusations. The arbitrary that, accusations are special, right? Right. Spe- certain accusations can be arbitrary in our society. Rape being one of them. Yeah, yeah. And and then you have this idea of, well, we're going to investigate, but it's only to protect ourselves when you have a duty yes. of care to the children, right? Yes. Like, like uh, this would be bad enough in the workplace, but here you have a duty, duty of care that you, you yes. are, you're, this is just reckless and irresponsible. It's evil. So I don't know, Justin, this, this, this one kind of hit me hard because, you know, I've been, I've been a defender of the the way we're treating young boys trying to grow into young men. And this is, this is just, just, this just has all of the things put together, all the stuff that I've been complaining about put together into one story. Yeah. And I mean, it shows how the state of education being so poor in public schools doesn't just affect public schools. It affects education in general. It it, it affects the way we approach things as a society. And it leads to things like this, this tragedy where, again, I don't know if it was preventable, but it certainly could have been handled in a way that helped the student a lot more and taught the student a lot more. Yeah. It's hard not to see so many opportunities for approaching this as uh, a reframing this all as a, a growth opportunity for all parties involved. Right. And that's just not the mindset. And that's tragic. 
Yeah, but don't don't get me started how they throw around buzzwords like growth mindset and then they don't really have a growth mindset, right? I just, yeah. I, I don't know where that came from, but if you're going to be an educator and, you know, we've said it before as a human, if you're going to be a human in order to to live, you have to keep growing and changing and you definitely need that mindset if you're going to be an educator and this, this just shows it. And I mean, I don't know, dude. I don't want to say this phrase, but I don't want to keep beating a dead horse with this story. Yep. And I don't mean the kid is a dead horse. I just mean I feel I feel like we 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 pretty much nailed this story. Yep. Let's move on. Let's move on to the next bit of farce. Let's start getting into the government. All right. Let's start getting into the government. The next one I want to talk about is something that came across my my feed, and it's the doubling down of something I've always said is a problem. I don't know if you remember this, William, but I think one of the biggest rules that needs to change because one of the biggest issues with our society is that politicians are full-time employees of the government. It used to be until the mid-1900s that they were not full-time, that they made their money in the private sector and then took time to work in government. Then we made them full-time employees. And I think when you make them full-time employees, it makes them more disconnected from reality and specifically the reality of what it is to live in America and live in the area they're representing, which I think increases the narcissism and increases all of the issues that we have. Well, they're doubling down on this, right? Yeah. It says, the political article says, House finalizes new expenses plan, bringing Congress more in line with the American workforce. House members will soon be eligible for a workplace benefit that's common in corporate life. Reimbursement for expenses they rack up, according to new rules obtained by Politico. The new framework is among the biggest changes to Congress's financial operations in decades, and it would upend a long tradition of lawmakers covering an array of their own out-of-pocket costs directly associated with their jobs. That setup is a longtime albatross for members of both parties who often lamented as burdensome and exclusionary. I do not believe, William, for a moment that members of both parties care about it being exclusionary. They want it to be exclusionary so they can keep their jobs and keep their free ride. I believe they care about it being burdensome because they don't want to pay the money anymore. That's ultimately what this is about. This is literally about politicians lining their own pockets, which that was not supposed to be the purpose of government in America when it was founded. Now, I'm sympathetic to the exclusionary argument, right? The idea that if you need to use your own money to be a politician and be a representative, that makes it so only a certain class of people can be representatives, However, it's hard for me not to see that use of the word rooted in social justice. This idea that gatekeeping is bad because it's a result of systemic oppression and you're only keeping people out for illegitimate reasons. I mean, isn't there something to be said for somebody who earns his or her place in the world to the point that they can properly represent people? Isn't there sort of a filtration or sorting system for people who earn the financial, psychological, emotional ability to be philosophical ability to be able to run for office? Aren't we eliminating this further 
I see this, and I don't see this as a benefit. I see this as just creating more AOCs. What about you, William? Yeah, there's there's something about <clears throat> there's something that strikes me as wrong about uh us electing people that are unable to that 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 are unable to take care of themselves in this way, right? I think in the article someone was talking about how they didn't have good enough credit to get an apartment in Washington DC and they were a congressperson. Justin, doesn't that just seem wrong to you? Like we're supposed to be selecting people people that have their shit together, right? Right, that's exactly my point. Is they're saying that the exclusionary aspect of this is not excluding people who don't have their shit together. It's excluding people who do, but the system is oppressing them and not allowing them to accumulate the materialistic needs to be able to run for and attend office. Yeah. Well, and how is Pelosi so rich then? Right? No, no one's asking yeah. the flip side of this question, right? Which is right. how how are the other super rich uh, senators and congresspeople becoming super rich? And that's I think that's the part we're supposed to avoid looking at, right? We'll be looking at this and say, oh, poor AOC or poor whatever this Mississippi congressperson was. I can't get a, uh, an apartment in D.C. But <clears throat> we could talk about like, I, I think there is something to talk about, about the perverse incentives that are put in place because uh, of all these these things. Right. Like we can talk about that. I think that's probably worthwhile. Like, Justin, you think someone who doesn't spend like if you had someone who treated the U.S. House like Texas, like like they were a, a congressperson from Texas. Or assemblymen, I don't remember if it's assembly or congress in Texas, where they uh, only go there certain times a year and they spend most of their time with your constituents. Do you think they would actually get reelected? Well, no, and and that's a uh, that's what I was saying. Where we made it a full time job. It used to be you spent most of the time where you're from, yeah, and you didn't spend it in D.C. But but now you do. Why is the question, how do we get this person to afford the apartment? Why is it, why does this person need an apartment? Shouldn't the representative from Mississippi live in Mississippi? Yeah. Especially, especially, William, can we now not hold Congress meetings virtually? <laughs> I can imagine, I can imagine a filibuster uh, uh, with over Zoom. It would be hilarious. I mean, I'm only being 25% funny here, William. Why do we not have a virtual Congress? Would that not be better? Yeah. Would, think yeah. about that. Because what we're not talking about here is these people are all going to start claiming expenses. Yeah. Every dinner they go to in D.C. is going to be a work dinner. Because what do they do? They just talk politics all the time. Yeah. So now what I, I would love to see two things. One, I would love to see somebody track how much this raises the bill for Congress, right? And two, I would love to track the, the the wealth of all of these representatives before and after this is passed. How much more money do they keep in their pockets? Because you want to talk about redistribution? That's redistribution of wealth right there from the taxpayer to these representatives. So really, when you're voting nowadays, if this goes through, you're voting for who do you want to receive welfare from your state. Are you not? Maybe maybe that's what we need to do. Yeah. Maybe we need to just make government a place where we just send people who most deserve welfare 
and we solve two birds with one stone. Hey, Send I, all I, say we, the, I say we build dorms for all these Congress people and uh, have them right. live in live in dorms. Why? Why would they uh, take? You're the, right where I was going. Them, so w- when I worked at NSA, you know, there were certain times uh, when I, where I would go to bases, I would stay on base, right? Like why? Why? Why not just build? Like if if the pro if if Congress people are already living in their office, then let's just bite the bullet, right? And say like. You know, every House member will have a, a, a nice little uh, tiny room that they're going to adorn, that they're going to be able to stay in, and and basically reverse it and say you're not allowed to have a apartment or house in D.C., right? Well, you can't reverse it because if somebody can afford it, it's oh, come on now. To- if they can, if they can have campaign finance laws and say we have to make everything equal, we have to eliminate, make everyone have the same limits. Then yeah, let's make everyone have the same limits, right? Okay. Well, you are ahead of where I was going, or you're where I was going. This solves the homeless problem in California. Build dorms, and then that's right. Just vote for the homeless people, and then now they <laughs> all now can all be Congress people. Yeah. They have <laughs> now they're all, and it creates a, a government that doesn't do anything because we're putting our representatives of people who really don't know what they're doing, right? And what you're talking about, William, if if we were going to design government in this way from the beginning, we would have had that in this country. But again, when it was first founded, the idea was never to live in the government. It was to travel there a few times a year and then travel back and live where you live. So yes, if that is what you're going to do, then yes, you should completely do what you're saying. Have dorms. However, it's never going to be that way because the system that exists is a bootstrapped version of this where they're taking the remnants of what was founded on and now they're trying to bring in the the version that was what we weren't founded on does that make sense yeah yeah that makes sense okay so let's move on to the the final story here and the final story here is a continuation of what we've talked about many times it's a continuation of the drop we played at the top of the episode this was sent in by daniel it's a hill article and the the headline is biden seeks to flip the script on freedom in 2024 and just the first article or the first paragraph here president biden is flipping the script on republicans by casting himself as the protector of freedom going on offense offense by using a word and concept conservatives have frequently cited to push back on the president's party biden's campaign launched Video was titled Freedom, and he referenced freedom or freedom six times over the course of the clip. The campaign's first official ad uses those words seven times. Uh, I, I think we have a copy of that ad, right, William? Do you want to play it? Mm-hmm. I urge all of you living in Florida to join the fight or join us in California, but we still believe in freedom. Freedom. Wait, of this speech. is Gavin Newsom, freedom though. To choose freedom from, oh, but, but it's the same script. They're just going to recycle Don't the same let script. Don't take your freedom. Oh. I, I can't I can't believe how dumb I was, right? Like in the year twenty twenty three, we need to have a principle that should have been obvious. None of this is happening by accident. And what I mean by that, when Biden did that ad, we should have known that that was the direction the Democratic Party was going and the left was going. That that wasn't just like the the California agenda, because California is just a little bit ahead of the of the the democratic party of the left wing so so we should have known that 
Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, William. I, I thought you were going to build off of that, but no. here's I, the I, thing. I, I just keep shaking my head thinking about this. <laughs> I know, well, that, I know that's asked, not a good pod, but it's just like, I, there's... Yeah, I, nobody could see that, Dr. Drew. <laughs> nobody could see that, Drew. Um, it, 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 the, the crazy thing about this, right, is how the average person buys into this. And what I mean is the following. I'm going to share a couple of experiences I've had on social media recently. So uh, I don't like to participate in Reddit, but I, I read Reddit, right? First of all, William, I don't understand how one entire website can have such a singular perspective and have people not realize they're in such a singular perspective. Like, I don't understand how Reddit is so left wing and nobody realizes they're left wing. Uh, but the second version of that is I've been reading the Walt Disney World subreddit. And, and the reason I read things like this is I do get good information from it. I do get good information. However, the political approach when it's not obviously political is just insane. The number one thing I've been seeing is people complaining about how they are never going to travel to California or Florida again. Somebody from England literally said, I canceled my trip to Florida and planned a trip to California. To which I was like, <laughs> awesome. Have fun with that. <laughs> right? Oh, man. Uh, but just talking about how, oh, we don't want to keep traveling to Florida because of how terrible it is. And talking about the cost of living in Florida going up. Now, I do recognize that there is a greater growth in the cost of living because more people want to move to Florida because of the weather and the and the low cost of living, right? Which ironically increases it. But William, hasn't inflation and real estate prices grown across the country? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, people act like it's a result of DeSantis's policies <clears throat> and the Republican Party taking over the state, and they yeah. talk about how evil. And I look. I even saw one person claim it's as expensive as Southern California now. No, 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 no. <laughs> I literally, I had to say something. I was like, uh, I moved from Southern California oh, and I could afford a house here that I couldn't afford there. And then they tried to be like, yeah, well, when did you buy it? Blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter when I bought it. You can go online. You can go look right now on Zillow. Down the street from me, there's a house, $700,000 that's got like eight bedrooms and 5,000 square feet. You think an eight bedroom, 5,000 square feet house in Southern California is going to be $700,000 with a pool? No. That's no like way. two to three million, is it not? If well, not more? Yeah, it would be more. Maybe two to three million in Orange County somewhere, like away from the ocean. But yeah, you get you get you get down towards Huntington Beach or you know, even here, like even here, five thousand square feet would be over. It would be double digit millions. Just just the land it's on, not even the the uh, five thousand square foot house. Yeah, and then the other thing was this morning, my wife showed me a TikTok, which that's the problem to begin with. I I hate that she goes on TikTok, but and this TikTok was a lady supposedly living in Cali, uh, living in Florida, acting how bad Cal, uh, how bad Florida is. Notice how my my brain keeps wanting to say California, right? How bad Florida is, and saying, "Oh, get ready for high cost of living and being not able to afford real estate. It's coming." And they were like, I just had a Democratic aide in my house today, and we were having discussions, blah, blah, blah. Who are these people that they're literally buying into not only this propaganda about freedom, but they have an inverted view of reality. 
And what I mean by that is, look, I understand having different definitions of freedom, right? Newsom's like the freedom from hate, the freedom to blah, 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 the freedom to love who you want. Okay, fine. We can discuss that, right? As, as we said, DeSantis limiting Disney is not freedom, right? It's not the freedom to run business how you want. So it's not total freedom here. There's no, there's no total freedom anywhere in the world. Shocker. No total freedom anywhere in the world. But there's definitely not freedom from reality, which is half of right. what the, the script is here, right? And that's what I don't understand. Like, I get the politicians pushing it, but the fact that there are people actively believing in it and going along with it to the point that the new thing is to talk about how Florida is worse than California economically and cost of living and lifestyle wise, that blows my mind. But it's, I mean, it's, are you seeing any of that yeah. online? Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely seeing some of that. Yeah. It's, it's, it gets back to what we were talking about earlier with, uh, unclear thinking, right? If you can't see the difference between, uh, freedom to love, whatever that means, uh, freedom from hate. Like if you can't see that those two freedoms cannot exist in the same time in the same way, like they're exactly contradictory. Like, who's falling for this? I think that is, is really the argument you're making. Who's falling for this? So it goes back to emotionalism. Well, I, it goes back to emotionalism, and it also goes back to something in related to the the uh, previous story that Midsider Lucid put in the, the Discord. And it's something I talk about all the time. Uh, and it was a tweet he had. And he, he tweeted, the locality should determine the compensation for our Congress members. Pay for representatives should be set by their home district. Pay for each senator should be set by their state's legislation. And he said, get compensation and its funding more local. I mean, this is just an application, William, of what I've been saying in general. Everything needs to become more local. The idea that we're centralizing everything is only allowing people to evade reality more. Of course, people on the Internet can go online and say these things about Florida. It, it's, it's people who aren't living in Florida who are saying it. Oh, well, I live in the United Kingdom and I'm not going to travel to Florida. Oh, I live in New York. I would never travel to Florida. Oh, they literally tell people don't move to Florida. Who are you to tell people where not to live locally? Isn't really that the answer to all of this? Don't we become more connected to reality if we're living more locally and we're living more with the people who are around us? Touching grass, as they say. You should really touch you're, you're just gonna I guess I mean I guess you are the Discord overlord edgelord, but that's what we're doing. <laughs> we're just we're 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 getting everything down to an edgelord statement of go outside and touch grass. Yeah, go outside, touch grass. Get back in uh into you know, connecting with reality. Yeah, and I mean that's a that's the thing, man, is when you can play with these concepts, like the concepts such as freedom, that it's disconnected from reality, well, then you can have any definition you want and you can play these games and it's going to mess with people because people are going to hear freedom and they're going to think whatever they think in regards to freedom, not what's actually being meant by freedom. And essentially, this makes it so these politicians, Gavin Newsom, it, it's really insidious because he's marketing to the people who don't know better, is he not? Yeah, I, I, they have to count on ignorance just being the thing, right? I guess yes. we see this on both sides of the political aisle, but 
Oh, completely, um, completely. It's both but, sides. But it's just so blatant in this one. Like, Justin, what I want to try to wrap my brain around is, did they thought think that that original ad worked? Did like did like Florida start hating DeSantis because of that Florida Freedom commercial uh, about California? Like, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, how did they think that this this was working? So therefore, we'll use it at at the Biden level, right? We'll take that away from DeSantis, right? He won't be able to talk about freedom anymore because we'll say freedom to love and freedom from hate and freedom from guns. I don't even think they worry about if it's working or not. I think it's just this is the strategy and we're going to stick to it. I don't think that the, the Newsom ad was floated as some sort of test. I think it was just, oh, this is the new angle. Right? And now, there, again, there's questions of how these things come about. Right? We know that everything's networked nowadays. However, where do these ideas come from? I, I mean, I don't know. The, we can have a whole, I mean, that's what anthropologists do, right? That's what sociologists do. They study these things, where these ideas come from. However, I don't think it was floated as some sort of test balloon and they looked whether it was successful or not. They said, we said, this is the approach because again, who are the genuine believers and who are not? They may genuinely believe it. They may not, but they believe it's the way to handle this situation. And then they know the tactic of repetition. And this will be repeated over and over and over again. And we're going to hear this. This is the drum that's going to be beat. Freedom is terrible. And only the Democrats have freedom. Florida freedom versus California freedom. And Florida is terrible. That's what you're going to hear for the next however many years until Florida is either turned blue or DeSantis is vanquished. Yeah, very true. Not that DeSantis is doing himself any favors by going after Disney. Yep. That's that's part of why I, I think that is part of why they're actually doing this, not to get too political in itself. But I think it's very easy when people like you and I look at what's going on and we go, well, that's not pro-freedom, DeSantis. Everything we liked you for was freedom. And now we we like how we don't like how you're going against it. It's very easy for them to go, oh, well, he's alienating his base. Let's try to win them over by telling them we're supporting freedom. They're just, again, banking on the ignorance of people who they're not banking on people to be like us, to be very skeptical of any angle. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. All right. That was a, I don't know, invigorating, depressing, both discussion. Uh, Let's move on to talking about the latest Marvel movie, which was that invigorating or was that depressing? Find out in The Hopeful Bromantic with JML. As always, you, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. You just go to midside.com and midside.com slash podcast, click on any episode link, and then you can keep talking to us. You can keep talking to us while we're recording. Like right now, 
Midsider Lucid's been commenting in another comment he made about the congressional salary, congressional expenses story was he said, virtual Congress makes reviewing classified material more challenging, but that's the only hurdle I can think of and seems solvable. Lucid, we got an information security guy on the show. William, isn't that solvable? Uh, yeah, it's solvable. Just don't ever share anything with Congress because they leak it no matter what. <laughs> so they have like a 100% leak rate. So that's not even an issue then because it's going to leak regardless yeah, of non, if it's, it's virtual or not. Yep. It's a non-issue. I mean, Trump took documents to Mar-a-Lago, right? Like, what are we talking about here? So there you go. The information security professional interacted with the Discord. So you should do it too. And, you know, you can share some farce in there. Give us some stuff to talk about. Make my job producing this podcast easier. That's basically what I'm asking. I don't just want affirmations ed joe i want you to make my job easier by giving me farce to talk about and also you can look at the trailers before uh before we talk about them all right william i did it i saw another marvel movie do you think i'm an idiot (sighs) well you know some people like torture here's the thing though william right like i legitimately like to go to the movies every week I don't know what it is, right? I mean, I do know what it is, but what I mean by it is, like, I would much rather go to a would movie you say theater it and watch a new you movie. As a person? <laughs> yes. Is it part of your identity? Do you identify my, as I a mean, moviegoer? I mean, I identify as a moviegoer, and it's part of my identity. The key word is being part, right? It's not my whole identity. However, I would rather go to a, the movies and watch a new movie than stream a movie. The experience of leaving the house and going to a place that was constructed specifically for seeing movies and seeing it on the big screen with all the technology and with other people there that I don't know, that's just a unique experience that I enjoy. So I'll pick whatever movie I'm most interested in that week. And this week, there really was nothing more interesting than Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So... Maybe I'm a fool. Maybe I'm a sucker. However, you may be surprised. I don't know. What what things have you heard about this movie? Well, I've heard that it uh, that it's okay. That uh, it wasn't bad. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't the best. Uh, that's, that's basically all I've heard. I've heard that there were uh, some family themes. It was basically, uh, I, I heard it as uh, almost like a Fast and Furious sort of uh, movie. What, what, well, what Vin Diesel is in it. He does play Groot. Yeah, well. Okay, true. are you ready? I'm ready. All right. From its opening moments, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 shows that Gunn, James Gunn, enjoyed more freedom than is typically allowed in creating a Marvel movie. The result is the best film in the trilogy, James Gunn's best film, and one of the top films in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, William, I would say it's a lot more then okay in fact i would give this movie a so romantic rating i i have to challenge you was there a beasties boys song in it yes that automatically disqualifies it it has become See, so I trope knew, like so trope in marvel movies how much money is the beastie boys making from marvel movies right now it's in the fucking trailer we're going to discuss later aren't aren't three of them dead Aren't they all dead? How many of them are dead? Oh, one of them, at least of them one of them is dead. dead. One of them is dead. 
Well, I don't know. LFO's all dead at this point, aren't they? Like, <laughs> Man, we're old. Okay. So somebody else said that to me as well. They said the mixtape thing is a trope. Look, we can get into a discussion about, you know, how do you do a Guardians movie without the mixtape, right? At what point does, um, does form limit the content too much? And what part is form a defining element of the content? And, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, rap has rhyme in it. What if you do a rap song without rhyme? Is it no longer rap? Well, what if you do a Guardians of the Galaxy song without music from the 80s, 90s, and so on as part of the soundtrack? I mean, that's the style. I mean, it's important to remember in this third movie that a lot of the stylistic elements that people have trouble with with the MCU that have become limiting factors in the other movies are because of Guardians. I mean, the whole humor thing started with Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man, and then it was ramped up in Guardians of the Galaxy with, I mean, Star-Lord is essentially very... Star-Lord is essentially an emotionalist Tony Stark, is he not? Yeah, he's a he's an emotionally immature sort of suffering from complex PTSD Tony Stark. Right. And very much so. I mean, he's a white American male, right? All of those things are the same. And I mean, that reflects James Gunn. I mean, if you remember when I reviewed uh Peacemaker, I said ultimately James Gunn isn't political. Right when we looked at the first movie and he says we are Groot, right? And then the second movie where it's about use your heart not your head, it it ultimately is about his emotionalism. He's not saying these things to be a collectivist. He's not saying these things to forward subjectivism. He's saying these things because for James Gunn, what matters in life is his emotions and being loved and being part of a family. And yes, that's where the that's where the, the comparisons to the Fast and Furious come in. And I, I don't want to spoil this too much, but it's not simply about family there's you know, there is the large, there are large elements of that because that's what guardians of the galaxy is right but ultimately it was a line in one of the trailers but this is about a character who is trying to create a perfect species and a utopia and he does these wild and this is all premise stuff this isn't resolution stuff he does these wild genetic experiments in 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 his quest to create perfection and that's the thing i think that's being missed here william when i say gun had more freedom i think this is the movie gun wanted to make i think all of those you know the beastie boys and the and the humor i think that that's what he wanted to make i think it's part of the fabric of guardians of the galaxy and the nice thing about the humor here is there was only one part of the movie where i thought i would have cut it without the joke but then the joke did come back later so i think the humor here is used more in character and it's not using to undermine like is done with most marvel movies where you have a serious moment and then it's undermined with humor the, the humor is used in a way that supports the characters. I mean, if you look at Drax or Batista's character, the way it ends, it actually makes the humor from all the previous movies make sense because you can interpret that character through, and I don't want to say what it is, I can have that discussion 
you know, off air with people later because I don't want to spoil it because I do encourage people to to say to see this movie. Um, it makes it make sense why he has that style of humor, why the character has been written this way. I also think it must be noted the way James Gunn approached this movie visually is tremendous. I've always said one of the things I love about Zack Snyder is his shot composition. I think shot composition is such a difficult skill for a director in Hollywood because, again, it involves so many people, right? Setting, costuming, acting, cinematography. All of this has to work in unison with the director's vision. And I wouldn't put Gunn on the same level as Snyder, but he paid such a level of attention to detail to shot composition in this movie. When the movie first started, there was one point where my wife leaned over and was like, that's a great shot. And that was like three or four or five minutes in. And you know, I just said back to her, I said, yeah, this movie's been tremendous visually so far. And there are moments in this movie throughout, throughout consistently, where visually it was incredibly strong. And circling back, another thing I wanted to note, and I think this is the last thing I'm going to note, is the premise of this character, William, who's trying to engineer a perfect society, utopia. That is reminiscent of Serenity. Do you remember the the whole premise for the movie Serenity? Yeah, yeah. Right. What what did what did Malcolm say? Malcolm Reynolds say? What did Mal say at the end? They'll try again on another world. Yeah. They'll say they can make us better, and I do not hold to that. Right? Is that not the point of Serenity? Yeah. So I don't want to miss here. I don't want to underplay here. This is a science fiction movie. Now. I don't want to argue hard sci-fi versus soft sci-fi, right? This would be more of a soft sci-fi movie, right? This is more towards the Doctor Who, Who, Doctor Who side of things, where we have farcical and fantastical creatures, and it's all part of this premise. But it's sci-fi in the sense that it deals with space, it deals with the future, and it deals with saying, what happens if we take this concept and we play it out and we see how it plays out? amongst our protagonist and how it affects the protagonist. It's sci-fi in the best possible way. Lost my train of thought because I was thinking of... Hard sci-fi. It's sci-fi. Well, no, no, no. I was thinking of, uh, you know, it's got elements of Star Trek and um, Star Wars in there as well. So it's sci-fi in all the best possible ways there. What was the other thing I was going to say? Oh, I know what I was going to say. The final comment. It is not apocalypsitis, William. One of the biggest problems in every Marvel movie is, right, in every superhero movie is what? The world's always ending. The yeah. world's always it's ending. Always, it always, it's, it's not enough to be a global scale. It must be a, the fabric of existence itself is, uh, is that safe? Right. Every story. That happened with all of them from last year, although I didn't see Ant-Man, right? But that happened with Thor, Love and Thunder. That happened with Doctor Strange. That it wasn't Ant-Man. I didn't, see it. I didn't see Ant-Man, but it, yeah, it was the quantum realm was at stake. So, I mean, if right. that's not the whole universe, I don't know what is. Right. This literally is about the Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, this 
doctor who's socially engineering and biologically engineering, he is creating planets and entire systems. However, he's not going to destroy the universe if he succeeds. And the failure of the Guardians wouldn't mean the failure of the the galaxy. The galaxy wouldn't die because of it. The universe wouldn't die because of it. There is no apocalypse-itis about this story in this story. This is a story about the characters. It's about the situations they get in. And it's bu- it's beautiful aesthetically. And it's it's emotionally moving. I will admit to it. I cried several times in this movie. I cried several times in this movie because of the content of it, but also because of the way the content fit with the aesthetics of the movie. Well, the things I was looking at were beautiful and they matched up with the ideas behind them. And because of that, I was able to be moved emotionally. And I know that sounds very pedantic the way I just described it, but that is the mechanism that was going on behind my experience with it. So again, this is one of the best Marvel movies I've ever made. It is because they allowed him to do what he was going to do, and then he knew he was going to peace out, right? Because he doesn't work for Marvel anymore. He works for DC. He knew he was done. He knew They knew they had a cash cow. They let him do what he was going to do, and he excelled with it. And it's one of the best ever made, and it's a sober romantic saying. It's a rating. It's my highest rated movie of the year. It's the highest rating I can give something. I gave it 4.5 out of 5 stars on Letterboxd uh, because of the minor, like, it had to... It had some hand-waving in it, and it had to stick to some of Marvel's stuff. Uh, But beyond that, I would highly recommend it. If you're going to see a Marvel movie, this is the Marvel movie to see, especially if you're a sci-fi fan. William, I think you would like it. I'm I'm really interested to see what you think about it, William. All right. All right, that's a movie that is out. Let's talk about some movies that are going to come out. For Trailer Takedown, I usually post the trailers in Discord the Saturday before uh, we record, and so you can... Watch the trailer, watch them all, then we we do the episode, or we do the episode, and then you watch all the trailers, or you can alternate. Uh, and when you alternate, maybe you get mad like William does. I showed him a Marvel trailer in this, and I put it in for all of you because um, I had to watch this trailer in theaters. So if I have to watch it, you all have to watch it. Hit the drops. Trailer takedown. First trailer. The Marvels is... The sequel to Captain Marvel starring Brie Larson. This features, uh, obviously, Brie Larson. It features Kamala Khan from the, uh, what is it? What was it? Miss Marvel? Is that what the show was on Disney Plus? I don't know. I haven't seen either of the other ones, right? But either of the other ones, there's also another character in this who I have no idea who she is. But either of the other ones, they were not this bad. This trailer looks atrocious. It looked like a really bad sitcom. The acting by the the Kamala Khan girl, terrible. Brie Brie Larson doesn't look like a superhero. She looks like she's phoning it in. She just looks like she's a normal person in a costume. Like I said, it looks like a sitcom. I I don't know. I don't really know what else I can say about this. I'm sure William's going to rip into it. Tackle. Tackle. Well, we have bad jokes. Beastie Boys song. Um... An annoying kid. Uh, what else? Um, it's all the cat. Uh, Don't forget the cat. Uh, oh yeah, the cat. Yep, demasculization. This is this is the new Marvel formula since Phase Four. Um, so yeah, 
I, I, I cannot see this. Comets are disabled. Um, it's got a, a terrible dislike yeah, ratio. I saw that. This is this is the apocalypse for uh, Marvel. There's no way. Like Brie Larson is the most unlikable character. I mean, maybe even more unlikable than uh, uh, what's her name, Mary Sue uh, from Star Wars. Uh, 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 Ray. No, no, uh, Admiral uh, social, Admiral Social Justice, Admiral uh, Gender oh. Studies. Probably more unlikable uh, than her. I know purple, exactly purple, who purple you mean. Hair, I don't know. Purple hair uh, admiral. Yeah, I, think, I, I know who you mean from The Last Jedi, but I don't know her name. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter what her name is because we're not going to watch that and we're not going to watch this. Tackle. Second trailer. Dune Part 2 is Dennis Villanueva's sequel to Dune. And holy crap, does it look worse than the first one. Now, I didn't see the first one, but at least there seemed to be interesting storyline or mythological elements in it this one literally looks like now keep in mind i already find the original star wars and most star wars boring this looks like somebody took a star wars movie and was like how do we make a star wars movie but boring there's everything is washed out of this trailer it it, uh, how do you make zendaya uninteresting to me Uh, tackle Ugh, tackle. I thought the first one showed some merit, and I thought, well, maybe that now that they've proven they can do it and make it interesting, they can fix the pacing issues and uh, some of the visual issues. Well, no, did you no, see no. the first they, one? Yeah, I did. No, they they doubled down on the pacing issues, even in the trailer, and the choice of in every other interpretation of Dune, we had the use of accents to help us differentiate between where people were from and it looks like they're just given up on that right uh like can you tell that uh uh cheney and and uh uh and what's his face are from different planets by their discussion uh, of talking about water like there's no they like they're using the same vernacular the same i i don't know there's some questionable choices at best so let's make a big budget movie and have people discuss water well, water is essential to this story, but the the trailer doesn't make it seem that way, right? It 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 it's it's sort of like made for someone who already knows the mythos, right? It's uh, dude, it's pretentiousness. Here's yes, the thing, yes, right? Dennis Villanueva, right? All of his movies, like Arrival, that movie is so slow. Uh, the new um, Blade Runner, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, was it? Whatever the the number was, right? You did you see that one? No, I haven't seen the 2049. Nope. It's so slow and boring. It's it, it's this pretentiousness, like, in order for a movie to be good, it needs to be slow and boring. I don't think it does. So therefore, I regrettably, regrettably, are going to tackle this one. Ugh, tackle. Third trailer. The Wrath of Becky is a horror movie about a teenage girl killing neo-Nazis. Why do we need to keep having movies about Nazi panic? Are we really that worried about Nazis coming back? Is that really <laughs> our biggest concern? This is this is really, really what this is, is Twitter the movie. Because really, what Twitter is, is a bunch of 14-year-old girls 
paranoid about Nazis and trying to fight them on the internet. That's what Twitter is. Or maybe this is, um, crap, I can't remember the name of the site. What, not LiveJournal, what was the other one? Tumblr. This is, maybe this is like Tumblr the movie. Look, the only good thing I can say about this trailer is that it's good to see Sean William Scott back acting again. And uh, he he looks like he did a good job in this movie. The problem is, is he's the leader of the neo-Nazis, and that probably tells you why he hasn't been getting acting roles. You know, if it wasn't his personal choice, nobody probably wants to cast him because he's a straight white male, right? We've seen how they've been trying to attack Chris Pratt over everything, right? So this, this, no, tackle. Tackle. So this is a sequel, right, Justin? I did, mean, did we do it the first says one? it's a sequel. <laughs> no, I've never heard of the first one. It says it's a sequel. Well, However, I think I, I reviewed it, and I think you can view the trailer as on its own. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, yeah, this is. Did you? What, what, what do they call the Proud Boys in this? The oh, they're like the honorable men or something. Honorable gentlemen or something, right? Honorable uh, gentlemen, yeah, something like that. Yeah, uh, that's the point. The trailer lost me. Like everything before that, I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And then they're like, oh, the honorable men are trying to make masculinity come back in our society. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, who do they have? Here's this is one of my big problems in Hollywood, right? There's all these people out there trying to make it yeah. and trying to, to, to get noticed. And this is the best we can come up with. We either are a incapable of discovering who good talent is. We have no way of figuring out who's talented or not. Or B, so deeply politicized that we put out this crap on purpose, and really the answer is A and B. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this looks super... If this had been done as a parody, I think it would be hilarious. But I don't think there's Well, that's what I was going to say. It's a horror movie in two ways. It's a horror movie about a a teenage girl being attacked by neo-Nazis, but it's also a horror movie in the sense that this movie has... Nazi panic in it and has a 14 year old girl killing neo-Nazis like from a meta perspective and the perspective in the movie it's a horror movie in two ways yeah yep so uh nah I don't construe that to mean I'm defending neo-Nazis <laughs> I mean it's a horror movie and that somebody thought this would be a good horror movie yep tackle <laughs> final trailer Gran Turismo also showed before Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and it was very confusing to me. And apparently, it's based on a real-life story, which once I found out it was based on a real-life story, I was like, okay, that makes sense. Because the premise of this movie is, they're going to take kids who are very good at the video game Gran Turismo and try and turn them into race car drivers. First of all, there hasn't been a good racing movie made since Days of Thunder. You want to know why? Because just like Dune is like, let's take Star Wars and make it boring. Racing is like, let's take golf and make it boring. They just go in a circle the whole time. And literally the excitement people wait for is whether they're going to crash or not. Now, any NASCAR fans out there might get mad at me, but I don't care. Okay, look, it's cool. Racing is cool. All right. Conceptually, it's probably super fun to do. Super fun to watch. No. So. That's the first thing. The second thing is, they they blow up their own premise in the movie, in the trailer. In the trailer where they're like, you really think video game players who've never done anything in their life but sit on their parents' couches can get in these high-powered machines and drive them 200 miles per hour? No, I don't. I don't believe this premise. 
That's why when I found out it was real, that at least made it make sense why they made this movie. Otherwise, there's nothing appealing about this because I'm sorry, William, I'm not anti-Gamergate or anything, but like, I don't need a movie or show about gamers unless you're going to make fun of it. Like, uh, uh, what is it? What quest? On Apple Mythic TV, Quest. Mythic, Mythic, Qu- Mythic Quest, yeah. and even that I got sick of after like I didn't even get through the full first season. Yeah. Right, you're gonna try really hard to. Ma- I, I I liked the guild because it was making fun of all those people and showing how they were using it as a crutch and had to move me on it. Yeah, but uh, it just no tackle. Tackle. Well, Justin, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on this. I think this looks interesting, um, and the reason why is. They're actually showing that there's a difference between uh, video game and real life. They're harping on the athletic ability of the drivers and things like that, which you rarely see in a driving movie. Um, And, like, it looks like they're going to try and tell it in a visually interesting way. At least, uh, you know, I saw some of the effects and, like, it looked interesting. And the actor looks like he can pull this off, this kind of story off. Um, at least from the previews. So I'm not as skeptical as you, and this definitely would fall under the category of Netflix and Hug. So Justin, did you trigger the rule? I did trigger the rule, and because of the things you said, which I had already thought, uh, I would see Oh, Grand sure, Turismo. after the fact. After the fact. No, 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 no. My no, degree no. from FU to... says you are 100% correct. See? No, they're only about 50% correct because I still tackled it. But if I had to see one of them, for the reasons you said, I would see this, if that makes sense. Like, they try to stylize it. Like, that was one of the things I appreciated about it. They tried to stylize it. But then I was like, you're trying to stylize a movie about, like, loser gamer guys. Like, no, no thank you. But you know what? I would give it a chance because, you know, maybe... It being a real story, maybe there's something to tell here. I mean, it's definitely better than being bored to death by Dune, and I don't even want to talk about the Marvels and watching a 14-year-old girl kill neo-Nazis. Like, I don't have a Tumblr account. I don't need to see that movie. So it's by far the best of the four trailers. Not that that's saying much. All right, that brings us to the end of our trip. What did we learn, William? Well, I learned that uh, Dune 2 is going to be terrible. Which is a disappointment. I had I had some small amount of hope that that was going to be something worth watching. I'll just have to go watch the old Siffy series. Justin, what did you learn this trip? Uh, I learned that Florida is a hellhole, and I am a participant in the Forever Purge. Apparently, Forever Purge. Yes, I was hoping you would hit that drop. <laughs> All right, I want to thank everybody for listening. If it wasn't for you, I would just be a guy talking into the corner of his closet like a crazy person. I'm still that, but you make me feel a little bit better with your affirmations. All right. Thank you for your affirmations, Ed Joe. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can go to midside.com slash store, pick up any of our merch, midside.com slash Patreon or midside.com slash locals. That's how we keep the lights on is through a little bit of crowdfunding there. And when I mean, I mean that literally like, otherwise I would be going out of pocket for the show. And really all we're doing is breaking even but that, that's all I need. That's all I need. This is fun for me. It's fun for you. This is a good place for me to vent and share some stuff I can't always share because as I tell my students, my job is not to get you to think what I think, but to get you to think and teach you how to think. So this is a good place for me to share what I think and you know, probably risk my job, but help me keep risking my job by uh, you know supporting to our, our, our crowdfunding. Midside.com slash Patreon or Midside.com slash Locals. You can also tell a friend so a bunch of people know about the show. And the more people know about the show, the greater likelihood is that I am fired. So how about that? Tell a friend and grow the show 
so that you can laugh about the fact that you helped me get fired. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emlesneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. You know what that Dune preview was missing? A, a Beastie Boy song. That would have made it less boring, at least. <laughs>